0: So we've only, uh, we've only met a handful of times, but I've got a feeling that I found the perfect um, album for you this week. I am excited to hear it. Uh, Dub Side of the Moon by the Easy Star All-Stars. Tr- true or false? Nailed it. Yeah. Uh, do you know that I'm one of the Easy Star All-Stars? <laughs> Unintentional compliment. That's why they call me Easy Star Steel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So seriously, have you ever listened to this album? I have not. Okay. No. Do you like reggae? I do not. At all? Actually, I mean,
1: I could listen to it, but I wouldn't say. Uh, I don't actively seek out reggae. Do you like Pink Floyd? I also do not actively seek out Pink Floyd. <laughs> I, I, I had you wrong on both dimensions. <laughs> I'm uh, impolite, though. I would never turn
0: you. Turn it down. If you, put, if you sat me down and made me listen to any music, I would listen to it. Well, I was with my brother the other day, and he's a uh, professional musician we were talking about. I don't know, music and albums that we like and whatnot. And I said that I'd been listening to reggae lately while I work and that I like Pink Floyd. And then, uh, I got back to my office and I was getting ready, I think two days ago to listen to music for the day. And cause I listen to music all day long while I work. And, uh, I searched for Pink Floyd and reggae. And not only is there an album dubbed side of the moon, which is exactly what you'd think it is. Um, But that album is like one of the top 50 reggae albums of all time, according to multiple places.
1: That's fantastic.
0: I know. So I I felt like I, I felt like I hit pay dirt and I thought that this would be your pay dirt also, but I had you totally wrong. It's okay. You you don't have me totally wrong. You're just really wrong.
1: (laughs) Right. That's uh, what, what kind of music do you like? uh, What do you find
0: helps the most while you're working? Well, I, I like—I uh, don't like to have to switch it that much, so I like albums, not songs. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say I sometimes queue up a bunch of albums, although uh, I also go on lists a decent amount of time. So, for example, um, have you ever gone to Pitchfork.com? I have not. So Pitchfork is like Rolling Stone. If Rolling Stone was... was uh, started more recently and and just about the music okay i know i know at least that's my that's my impression of it i'm not sure if that's that that's how they describe themselves but anyhow they uh they had a top 50 albums of uh well i'm sure they've done it for multiple years but they had 2013s so i decided that uh i would listen to every single one of them wow Um, yeah we don't mess around which was like pretty, I mean, what's an album? Say like on average, maybe 45, 50 minutes or something like that. So it doesn't take that long to get through the whole list. I guess. But to, to decide
1: that just, man, that is, that
0: is an undertaking. Well, I, I follow some people on RDO and that's like my preferred, um, I don't know, uh, place where I listen to music. But anyways, I follow some people on RDO that are always coming up with interesting stuff to listen to. And like I decided that either they're, they're I don't know, they've tapped into a good source and are just sort of, you know, echoing it or are somehow discovering new music a lot. And uh, so I thought that maybe one of the ways that they did it is that they sort of linked into a bigger list like the Pitchfork Top 50 and then listened to the whole thing and then just filtered the ones that they think are good. Um, so anyway, so this is a long way of saying that there isn't a particular type of music that I like. I like to mix two different things, things that I have listened to a million times that just sort of fade into the background for me because they're sort of soothing, or a project like the top 50 reggae albums ever, or the top 2013 albums from Pitchfork, and then I'll like make a note of the, you know, 20% of them that I think I want to listen to again.
1: Gotcha. I I like that.
0: That's very, it's kind of
1: passive, and, and you end up like coming up with this nice list of stuff that you just, like, you can talk about.
0: You can, you can become the music authority that you want to be. That's exactly. I'm trying to, I'm trying to inspire myself musically. What about you? Uh, um, I was trying to think about that. As I
1: asked the question and I was afraid of what would come out as the words were falling out of my mouth, um, I don't have a f- fantastic answer. Mostly uh, I can't listen to anything that has words unless I know all of the words. Mm-hmm. Like they, they can't be distracting. I can't have somebody telling me a new story. i um, <laughs> I found lately. Last week, I started a uh, a Spotify playlist off of uh, or a Spotify radio off of uh, Never by Moving Pictures or Motion. Picture. I don't remember exactly what it is, uh, but it's the Rage Dance song from Footloose. Okay, and it started the like the best like '80s prom uh, just radio, and th- that has been fantastic. Like I think that's been the most productive uh, playlist I've had in a long time. '80s prom. What year was prom? your prom? Uh.
0: 2003 and 2004, with a junior and senior prom. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that 80s prom was already pretty dated at that point. Right, right. I think it was just kind of, it was a nice way to uh, kind of group more poppy music together
1: with some, like, slow dance songs so I could (laughs) 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 finally finally ask that girl out.
0: Yeah, right. While I'm Mm -hmm. working. Uh, Do you have a top three albums that you like to listen to? I uh, I do not. That's a lie. I totally do um, because I have Spotify open right now.
1: Uh, I would say Bonobo. Actually, anything from
0: Bonobo probably. Oh yeah, there. that's a good uh, pick. I I will second your pick. I I think Bonobo is great to work to.
1: Yeah, it's it's really nice. And in, in that vein, um, oh man, this is going to be fun. This is going to be um, Eric and Sean read through a schedule all
0: over again. <laughs> right. I think actually music music recommendations are pretty good. Uh, it's it's hard uh, because um, I, I find myself listening to the same
1: thing over and over and over again. So actually, if um, if you're interested, add me on Spotify. I think I'm just a uh, generic steel or something because I want to hear. I want to see what other people
0: are listening to because I like to get recommendations. Um, yeah, there should that be a good idea. Like the uh, the Ruby on Rails programming. Not that there'd be anything specific to Ruby on Rails, but. Um, kind of playlist that was a community yeah, yeah. thing. On RDO, there's a guy that I follow that I'm going to look up while I'm talking that has a, a bunch of very good programming playlists, uh, I think. His name is, I'm not sure if this is really his name, but his name on RDO is Ben Vinegar. I suspect that that is his name.
1: It can be and, uh, his real name.
0: And uh, he he lives in San Francisco, so it makes sense. And it's definitely his real name. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyhow, he's got, if you're on RDO, he's got a bunch of, uh, I think, quite good... Uh, Programming playlists that are sort of uh, grouped by genre, which I think is nice.
1: We're in a we're in a tough spot
0: now because I feel like
1: uh, we we have to make a decision between RDO and Spotify, um, like just as a as a consumer because both of them are getting far more social. Um, and I'm like now I'm starting to see like uh, Spotify is encouraging following more people, and I get to see like what people are listening to as they're listening to them, uh, which is super fun. They didn't have that before, and Cardio had something similar to that, and it was much more social. So it's tough because you're going to start having all of people,
0: like people that you want to follow, are going to be in one spot or the other, and uh, there's not a good solution yet. I think this is like the story of the internet right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like music and and any social, other social networks thing. and, yeah. and uh, Betamax or VHS. Or <laughs> right. Speaking of eighties prom. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, I recorded the whole thing on Betamax. Right. My my dad was a, a a Betamax advocate. Not that he's really a technical guy. So it was sort of strange in hindsight that he he picked a side and like went for it. But uh, it's it, I respect the fact that he picked a side. But he, he did. did. <laughs> I know. I like have a distinct memory of the of. Uh, Being, like, the one in my group of friends as a young kid that had beta and, like, being super defensive. I think about that with my kids. Like, you know, the choices that I make that maybe aren't 100% mainstream because I think that VHS was winning relatively early. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, that they may, like, uh, adopt that choice as part of their personality and go to school and, you know, defend the fort. No, my dad. My dad says that uh, Bandmask would beat up your VHS. <laughs> there was definitely some of that in me <laughs> <laughs> at the time. All right, so uh, I've got two topics for today. Awesome. Um, so you released your book since we last talked. I did. It was yeah. Uh, so uh, topic one is sort of the uh, the meta topic of the two, which is bu- the book writing and releasing process. Uh, you are, I think extremely open about how you feel about things. So I think it'd be interesting to hear the not glossed up version, but the, the real, like, you know, looking back on it now, and I'm sure you're, you're sort of still in this a little bit. Sure. uh, What were the highs and the lows of writing and releasing the book? And then I also wanted to, as a second topic, go through and talk about some of the sections of the book. um, Cool. That are interesting. Um, Are you
1: doing now, are you turning this podcast into like a, a behind the music type, show. Not really. Um, uh, who did you have on, uh, Were you actually, you, you dug into like the, <laughs> the history of Ruby Gems.
0: Oh, Nick Caranto. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, he, he's a great guest. Oh, man, right. you, I, I gotta, we just gonna step back here for a second, because my one topic is, you've been, killing it with this show like you your guests have been fantastic like uh, ever since ever since you had that uh, idiot on two days two weeks in a row or whatever (laughs) uh i can't remember his name something like iron or something something generic yeah (laughs) nail it um yeah it's you've just been doing a really good job that's nice man thank you yeah no problem and um also how was the move Uh, before we hop into like all that
0: stuff i kind of want to i want to talk to you Right. Well, well, the move was, was pretty good. The, uh, so I moved from Chicago to northern Connecticut. Um, so I, I'm like right on the border of Massachusetts. And uh, pretty big difference. So in Chicago, I was on the, the 53rd floor of one of the taller buildings in the city looking out over the, the lake. So like a pretty cool setup. Oh. And yeah, like ultra urban, you know, it was right across the street for people that know Chicago. So right across the street from the museum campus down in the South Loop. So that was like one end of the spectrum. And we lived in a handful of places in Chicago and they're all uh, very urban. Did you have a glass floor that you could walk out on and look down? I, d- I didn't. At, at, but the the entire wall was, was sort of glass uninterrupted. Oh. Um, I don't know how many degrees, maybe. I don't know, maybe like a hundred twenty degree, you know, view of of that part of the city. So pretty cool. That's fantastic. Um, and uh, a, a funny side story. So I guess the uh, the platform at one of the lookouts in Chicago. I think that it's the lookout on the Sears Tower or Willis Tower. So there are two uh, two very tall buildings in Chicago that have uh, like lookout platforms. And like like you were just uh, sort of alluding to, and one of them, the platform cracked the other day. You got to look on on Twitter or whatever, Google for the uh, pictures of it. So it, it looks like a shattered iPhone screen, except you're up, <laughs> except you're up 110 stories above the the uh, the ground. So what and you, it's supporting your weight. Okay. Yeah, it, yeah. yeah, I think it could fit six people or something. So what do you think? And it, and it happened while people were standing there, and they took a picture of it. So what do you think they did to fix it? Uh, If it's anything like Jurassic Park, The Lost World, um, they dropped down a uh, a satchel to try and grab the person who was standing there. uh, That's a good idea. But they put down a a, a carpet. I love that that That, idea. Like, that's actually what they did. Out of sight, out of mind. Oh, I and mean, yeah. it's like it's like a, if a if a one and a half year old had to solve the problem, they're like, I don't know, put a put a rug on it.
1: <laughs> that is, uh,
0: I just I just had this problem. We can talk Rails talk for a second.
1: <laughs> That's not what this podcast is about at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just happened upon some code that was just
0: catching all exceptions and just sweeping them under the rug. That is exactly what that is doing. <laughs> That's what we, yeah. From now on, that'll we we need a catchy word for this, but it's going to be something that means uh, putting a carpet down uh, on the observatory. I love it because uh, that is <laughs> so uh, literal. <laughs> I like that. That's yeah. good. Uh, so anyway, so the move was pretty good. Uh, I, I went from like that very urban, uh, very kind of cool situation um, to and now I live pretty much in the country. I mean, so the so in, my, in my backyard, there's a. Uh, I don't know. If, what do you think the cutoff is between a stream and a river? Is it just um, that it's named that, or is there a size? Can cutoff? you lay on your back and float in it? Yeah. Okay. You think that's the? I think that that should be the definition. I that's that's my definition. Well, that's it's interesting you that's say what that. I've been learning or er, teaching people. I think about. it's. I think it's like probably a stream then, because I think that you would for most of it, not be able to do that. But anyhow, there was a river or large re- a stream or small river in my backyard. Let's introduce a third part to that because then there's a
1: creek, a creek. You can't do it at all. A uh, stream, you can do it somewhere,
0: like okay. at any point. And then a river, you could do it at all, at all places. So that's a, that's good. So it's a stream then. Cool. Uh, so anyway, so I've got, you know, now this big backyard and you know, I'm in the country and there's a, a pretty stream in my backyard and, and, uh, Uh, The cool thing is there's a mother-in-law apartment at the the house that we moved to. So I converted that into my office, which has really been phenomenal. Awesome. Yeah. So I I like get up this morning. I got my cup of coffee. I sort of walk above the garage and then there's another apartment, you know, like someone else could live here entirely and, uh, I work out of there. So it's, it's gone pretty well.
1: Awesome. Yeah. I I wasn't prepared for you to be on East Coast time. Like I, uh, you said, you said 9am and I was like, Oh right. 9am
0: central. (laughs) No problem, buddy. And then I did the math and remembered you had moved, so. Well, I feel good about that. I, I, I grew up in uh, East Coast time, and I lived most of my life in East Coast time except for Chicago. it's good. Uh, it, it's sort of the one true time, in my opinion. Uh-huh. You know, yeah, the East Coast time, not Chicago time. Yeah, East
1: Coast okay. yeah. Chicago time, by the way, is the standard now. I've changed that from Central to Chicago.
0: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's good. Better cool. see...
1: Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that. It's good to it's good to hear that you've yeah. settled in. And uh, all I all I know of, of Chicago, I've learned from three sources: Ferris Bueller's Day Off, uh, the band Chicago, and uh, Scruff McGruff commercials uh, <laughs> growing up. So, it's from what pretty- I understand, there's a lot of crime there, parades everywhere, and everybody's in a band.
0: Um, well, those three are true. Okay. It's pretty great, though. It's I mean, I'd say if you like cities in New York, or I think it's like. Not quite New York, but it's got a lot going for it. It's pretty good. Awesome. Yeah. It's really good. So, yeah, uh, we can just do a continuing series of where we talk about uh, about cities. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> In the abstract. So. So, so, okay, which which of our book topics do you want to cover first? The <laughs> sort of the behind-the-scenes book writing and releasing process or the contents of the book? I think we should do the process part first. Let's do the process part first. All right. So how long ago did you release this book? I quietly released the book about a month ago. Uh, oh, and by, you might as well do your first plug. So where can one find the book? One can find the book at whatdoitest.com. Okay. One can buy the book at whatdoitest.com. Slash buy. <laughs> I made it convenient for you. There you go. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's go backwards here. So let's talk about the releasing of the book. You said quietly. Is that because it was quiet or because that's sort of a, a, a personal sanity management device to try to keep expectations reasonable early? That is, uh, it, it's the latter. I, it was a
1: personal sanity thing because uh, when you work on a book for a year and you try and, like, you're, you're going crazy trying to get it out, the, I, I, what happened was I just, like, one day... I kind of rolled out of bed and I was like, all right, this is it. Um, it's good. It's good. It's fine. I don't need to keep uh, sending it down. It's, it can at least be released as a, an early release type thing. So I um, I wrote a whole app to go with it, um, like the whole sales thing. And I just uh, put it up there and people were able to just start buying it. And um, I was kind of I was experimenting with that a little bit to see what kind of feedback I would get from people. Like, oh, this is terrible. You don't know how to spell at all and uh, you know, it, it's just I hate it. I didn't get any of that. I instead got some, some good feedback and people just started buying it. So after about a month of that, I did the proper uh, like the whole proper release, like self-releasing thing where you send out an email to your mailing list and you change the, the site to you know, reflect it
0: and mention a whole bunch on Twitter. Okay, So was it like scale of one to ten, how did how has the experience of having your book released met your expectations? Like uh, ten being it totally met, or you know, it met and exceeded. One being, oh man, this is a rough, a rough. It, it's been great. It is. There's
1: not been anything um, bad about it. Um, I think the just the worst part was the time it took to get it there, hmm. um, because I mean, I've I've never written a book before. It's Weird and uncomfortable, and uh, so just kind of giving myself permission constantly to just say, "This is this is good. This is good, Eric. You don't need to keep rewriting this section. It's it's fine." Uh, how, how many hours do you think you've got in the thing by now? I, if I added that up, I would probably be. I would probably change my answer to very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't know. I mean, that sort no. of makes me feel like I want to ask more questions about it, but I also Go love for you, it. so I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> no, it up. was a, it was a long project. I've I've
1: uh, rewritten the entire thing from scratch twice. I think. Uh, how how
0: long ago did you start writing? I started in March of 2013. March. Okay. So yeah. it was, uh Fifteen months or so, mm-hmm. and like, how often were you writing it? Infrequently. Um, it would it would
1: happen in bursts, um, and I, I think that it helped the book a lot because uh, so the the entire starting point of the book was I have no idea how to test I don't know uh, I wrote a little intro and I was happy with it but uh, I was I was getting frustrated with testing and I, like just the fact that I didn't know how to test and everybody seemed to know how to test or. Uh, and, and something just wasn't clicking for me. <laughs> and one day I just tried to Google, uh, like, I, out of frustration, I just Googled, what the hell do I test? And, like, that was the, like, aha, okay. Phrasing it that way helped a whole lot. And uh, there were no results in there, probably because I used H-E double hockey stick. Mm-hmm. Um, but phrasing it as, what do I test, helped a ton, because no one was really answering that question, but that was what I needed to know. And so I just kind of, um, about the domain and, uh, I just set forward mm-hmm. off of like researching and, and figuring out what it was
0: that would help me answer that question. Well, it's a strong premise for a book. I think the, you know, the question, what is it that I test? Because I mean, knowing what problem you're solving is usually the, the main stumbling block, yeah. um, more so than how do you solve it? Cause there are lots of ways to solve something and people that are you know smart enough can figure that out. And it's really hard to,
1: um, you know, as someone who already has that information, it's hard to articulate that, like, because it's just like, how do I ride a bike? I, I get on it and you pedal, but okay, there are nuances to like all of that. Like, how do you pedal? Do you push both of your feet down at the same time? How do you do that? How do you how do you steer? Like, there's stuff that just becomes reflexive, and um, whenever
0: you get into testing, I feel like most of that becomes reflexive. So do you feel like you have answered the question for yourself? Forget the forget you know the book and teaching other people, but you know uh, a year or say fifteen months later, do you feel like now you know what the hell to test? I
1: do. I think um, I yes and no. Uh, great great response to a, a simple answer or simple question, but um, I think that I've learned that like the baseline of what to test, and then the rest of like, I'll know it when I see it kind of thing. Like, I, I, I have kind of the instincts of what I should test and what I shouldn't test. And I'm certain that I'm going to be wrong
0: uh, for many, many years. So um, I feel like I have a good starting point. Well, I think, though, what do I test probably changes over time, too, because it's a it's a function not of – now, I, I hope that this does not conflict too strongly with anything in your book. But what do I test is, as much as anything, a question about the programmer that is writing the code and who they expect to be the future maintainer of the program than right. it is the code itself.
1: Yeah, it's it's extremely situational. Uh, it's dependent on, on the features that you're building. It's dependent on, um, you know, the scope down the line. It's dependent on <laughs> if you're building a simple app. Uh, I, I, I wrote a, a secret Santa application uh, for the co-working space that I work out of. Like, that didn't need to be rigorously tested. It was just a hand out names. Um, I still tested it though. <laughs> well, I mean, if, um, you're, if you're writing the book, I guess you probably. Yeah, it was super helpful. Uh, any project I could get onto, I latched. Right? Any project, any project I could test, I latched onto. But um, it's it's a matter of like being aware of you know
0: where you are, where you imagine you'll be, and where you imagine the code you're writing will be in the future. So which. Um in which area do you have the most difficulty still determining what to test, uh, models, uh, controllers, views, integration of those? Uh, I would, uh, integration and acceptance,
1: uh, hands down. I have not uh, had nearly enough experience with either of those. Because the – so this kind of ties with what we were just talking about. I've been working alone on most of the projects. So uh, integration tests – I don't need to test from start to finish uh, on a large feature because the projects I'm working on are so small um, that I like end to end is pretty much covered in my controller tests. Um, and then like acceptance
0: tests with Capybara, I am painfully uh, inexperienced with Capybara. So yeah, me too. I kind of muddle through, but I don't, I don't really yeah. feel super confident. Yep. But um, realistically, the
1: Test, testing like one test is better than no tests um, and so that, that was kind of the the mentality I had going into this like as long as I f- understand how to test like
0: one area I'm super happy with it yeah, I kind of felt that way about about model tests to begin with you yeah. know that I, I went from not knowing at all what to do to to getting decent at testing models and even though I, I hadn't progressed to controllers or views or um, integration or, you know, feature acceptance, you know, that, that actually probably was 70% of the challenge for me. It was feeling like I could get my core sort of low level models well tested so that I knew that, you know, down at the, the, the sort of core of the application, I wasn't getting objects in a weird state or at least but, less weird state.
1: Yeah. And, and I think having to go through that entire process makes it, it, it you get this weird feeling when things start to go wrong. Like uh, it, I don't know, it gives you a chance to, to dig into your code and not not write those quick patches because you have to step back and think, oh, okay, how is this gonna work? How is this
0: how am I going to test this? How like it, it I, I think it just makes you a better programmer. You know, I think that the the thing that's gotten me me the like most education in how to test uh, per you know minute that I spent on it was contributing to well done open source projects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because then uh, this sort of uh, gets to the point you were making a bit ago. Uh, whereas on your own projects, you know, you're the maybe the the only developer and the, the primary user in some cases, like something like the Secret Santa app. Whereas with uh, an open source project, you're in a team, and even yeah. if it's a two person team, that's all that's like a lot bigger than a one person team. Yeah, and uh, a well done project, I think, has sort of. Felt out through collaboration with the various contributors what the right things to test are, mm-hmm. and uh, I learned a lot about uh, if I wanted to add a feature or fix a. I get started with fixing a, a bug, you know. So I found a bug in a project and said, "Geez, I'd, you know, I want to contribute a solution to this." And at first, I felt a little panicked, like, "Oh man, I know how to write the fix, but I'm not sure that I can write the the test." Yeah. You know, this is very early on test to to make everyone confident. So I read through the other tests and, uh, turns out that it's not that hard. It, yeah. it, you know, it was pretty straightforward because the well-done projects, uh, you know, weren't rigging up complicated states to test. They had, you know, factored the, the application pretty nicely and had isolated the components pretty well in testing. It was pretty easy. And, uh, the, having other people that were sort of, uh, using the tests as their way to understand what it was that you were doing, and maybe what was broken before, and uh, understanding if it was if your fix was correct was super um, educational for me because I saw the benefit that that the tests actually were the main thing that was doing the communication and the the talking and the issue and the actual fix itself were sort of secondary.
1: Right? And yeah, um, It's it is uh, proof that's, that's it. Like, it's, it's just a way to wrap up the thing that you're thinking or, uh, you know, that you want to see
0: happen. It's just proof that a simple way to prove that it does the thing that you're saying it does. So I think that if, if someone's in a position where they feel like they, they don't have a large project or a big team that they're working on, and you know, they don't know how to, to get that kind of experience where, um, uh, testing isn't just for your own benefit, but for a community's benefit. I think contributing to open source is like a phenomenal way to solve that problem immediately. Yeah. That's um, a, that's a super good idea. And, um, also
1: I, I'm probably going to just
0: throw a whole
1: bunch of work on my, like just my pile, but, um, part of the book, like the last section of the book, uh, it, first it talks about some oatmeal raisin cookies for some reason. And then, uh, it invites you to go to a GitHub repository um, where I've bundled all most of the tests from the book into just this one application. Um, and it's it's out there. There's It's public. If you want to go in and just practice with tests um, and just kind of see how I wrote some tests um, and want to just try it, it's, it's there. It's like, um, I think it's generic steel slash secret agent plan or something. That's cool. Um, but, yeah, uh, the, the, like, workflow is write some tests in there, see what it's like. Uh, there's an answers branch, um, and you can see how I write the tests. And then you just, like, from the main, uh, the master branch, just submit a pull request, and
0: I'll do, like, a code review or something. So how much, um, how much work have you done on open source projects? Uh, I, since we last talk, I took over uh, maintaining
1: the Guard mini-test, Jim, which is cool. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. It's, How's that been? Uh, uneventful. Really, it's, I, I, I haven't had a, a ton of time to do any, like, improvements or feature development, but I've been kind of vocal about the development before, so it was pretty, a pretty natural transition. Um, I, it's, I, don't, it's I don't use inter- Guard anymore. Um, I, um, I don't either, uh, Spring pretty
0: much, Spring and, uh, just a quick command change that for me. Like, a quick command in whatever editor I'm in. Yeah, uh, me too. I had the exact same experience mm-hmm. that I, it, the reloading fixes, uh, and I've gone Springs. I figured, Hey, if they integrated it with rails, it, it should be pretty easy to, uh, get away from some of the sort of reloading bugs that, uh, one saw in, in, you know, either previous versions of spring or yeah. alternatives to spring like Zeus or whatever. But, um, but I think that combined with, you know, I try to focus just on an individual test or the, the you know, the spec file that I'm working in instead of the whole suite um, most of the time that I'll run the suite occasionally.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh,
0: it's nice and fast, too. Uh, and Rails,
1: Rails 4.1 did something. And, like, most of the tests that I was working on just, they, like, doubled the doubled the time or half of the time that it took to run. Did you change version of Ruby you were using? Uh, no, it, it was Ruby two, and went from Rails four to Rails 4.1. one. It was nuts. That's great. Not a ton of tests, and um, they were using uh, they're using fixtures as a backend, so or as the uh, data back. So that that probably had a lot to do with it. But
0: still, it was it was a nice improvement. I miss it. Is Guard um, Mini Test? Uh, is there a lot to it? There, there really isn't. Um, it's I mean,
1: it's, it's a plug into an existing thing, so I don't have to work on most of the, uh, it, it's really just a runner on top of, uh, a, a runner that just
0: fires a specific command at a specific time. So, not a lot to do. But. So, speaking of not a lot to do, I, I released a super small, not that interesting, but nonetheless real, tiny little gem uh, since we last talked that has to do with testing. And I forgot about it until we just were talking about this. <laughs> what is it called? It's called RSpec, I'm going to look it up, RSpec Context Private. So here was the problem. And I I wonder if this is, I wonder if if you ran across this in the book. So in general, I wouldn't want to uh, test private methods. But there were times where um, during development I would want to right so like uh, especially for like let's say a method that's doing the calculation on something so it's doing some math and, and calculating some output from a bunch of inputs and it's in let's say it's not used directly but it's supporting some method above it um, um, but but it it's, it's sort of the thing you'd want to test because it it takes you know a bunch of uh, inputs say like an array of numbers and a couple of other um, Parameters and then does some math and spits out an answer. Um, so I wanted to be able to start with that method private because I knew I didn't want to expose it to the outside world. Um, but test it because, you know, as I was building up to the to, uh, sort of adding the methods that helped it along, I wanted to be able to test them just so I could keep track of whether I was getting it right or not. Um, so I made this little this little tiny gem that allows you to just pass private as um, one of the options to your describe block in RSpec, and it will um, it will flip the uh, the method to public for the context of the test.
1: That's awesome.
0: So that you know you can you can keep it private inside of your class. So that you know you don't have to remember later to make it private and then uncomment the 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 test, which always seems so so ugly to me to have to do. Mm-hmm. You can just say, okay, you know, for this block, I'm going to pretend that this method is public, so I can do the testing, but actually, you know, not modify what I want my class to be in order to do that, which is you know have that method private.
1: Yeah, I like that a bunch, and uh, it, that that kind of touches on a uh, just a thing. That's that's in my head of uh, like testing is not this this final thing. It's a way to build stuff. Like it, it doesn't matter that that is private. Like my like in the book I say don't test private methods. It doesn't matter. it Doesn't matter what I say because if you're working on a private method, uh, private method, and you want to get feedback as see if it's working or not, a test that uh, like a b- test bundled up to test that private method right then and there to give you feedback on it is awesome and exactly what you
0: need. So like. That's, that's really cool. I like that. Yeah, thanks. So rspec-context-private. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I, I, should, do, I should do our first sponsor. I'm, uh, I'd really like to hear who they are. It's actually the only sponsor, and it's a very uh, uh, conveniently appropriate sponsor for the topic today. So our sponsor for today's episode is CodeShip. Uh, ship. A CodeShip. That's right. No, it's the CodeShip.
1: Oh, the CodeShip.
0: I love how they say that on their uh, videos with the code ship. <laughs> I sort of feel like it's a, like they're almost having fun with their name, like the Twitter or the Facebook, you know, as people make yeah, jokes about yeah. their parents, yeah. except I don't think that they are. I think that they just call it the code ship, which I think is fun. The code ship, like the talk show. Right. <laughs> exactly. I wonder if they sell t-shirts. I bet they do. Probably. Maybe they give away t-shirts, but anyways, uh, CodeShip is a continuous deployment made simple. So you can set up uh, your continuous integration server with the CodeShip or on the CodeShip, or with CodeShip, I'm not sure which one is, is the right <laughs> way to say this, uh, in a few easy steps, and your software will automatically deploy when all your tests have passed. Uh, CodeShip has great support for multiple languages and test frameworks. You can easily integrate uh, with either GitHub or Bit. Uh, bucket for code hosting, and then deploy to wherever your code is hosted, whether it's uh, AWS or Heroku or your own servers or Google App Engine or Nojitsu or whatever. Um, you can start out with a free plan. Setup only takes three minutes. And uh, then if you want to uh, upgrade to a paid plan and you use the offer code 5x5Ruby, you get 20% off um, that plan for three months. You can learn a lot more about them and what they're up to and uh, their team at blog.codeship.io. They've got a video on uh, their website that I think is a pretty good way to get to understand the company, uh, at codeship.io. And if you haven't used a continuous integration um, server, uh, you absolutely should. Um, I don't for every one of my projects but any, for anything you know, reasonable size I do and man is it a great way to uh, get feedback on the build of your entire app and then handle the deployment <clears throat> have you used a continuous integration server? I have
1: I am uh, look forward to whenever I can actually use it for this current project but um, so uh, a continuous integration server you just write a bunch of tests then you work normally and every time you feel like you feel comfortable committing, um, this server will then check, like run your tests, run the entire app for you, so you don't have to do that before uh, deploying it or committing it or pushing it. There we go. And um, if it's good, it'll just push it out there, make all your customers happy.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. So we should describe how it works. So literally, it's it's on the the push to the repository, the remote repository that kicks off things usually. So let's say you're hosting on GitHub you push commits into the repository that's being watched. Uh, CodeShip, in this case, will uh, watch for that. Hook the in. Code ship. Yeah, the code ship is, you know, sailing along, watching for the commit to come in. When GitHub uh, uh, receives the push, then CodeShip notices and builds the app the same way that you would on your uh, machine. And literally, you can provide the, the, the exact... Um, Commands to run to build it, and they come with the defaults that you'd need for for whatever you're working on. But so it you know bundles the gems and makes sure it's using the right version of Ruby and picks the right database and all that jazz. Um, creates the application, runs uh, uh, you know rspec or you know whatever test suite you're running, runs the test suite looks to see if it's successful and then you can tell it what to do after it either su- succeeds or fails. So if if it succeeds and you want it to automatically push out that version of the app to your production environment, then you tell it, you know, where it's hosted and, and, uh, what commands to run on that environment. Like, so if it's Heroku, you may tell it, okay, you know, push master to Heroku and run DB migrate, uh, if you, if you want to, or whatever else. And, uh, and anyways, if it fails, then you can tell it what to do, like uh, email you or or send a message to some chat server or whatever.
1: Yeah, huge fan. Uh, it, it cuts out the Capistrano. Uh just lets you, uh, lets you write code more often and yeah. don't worry about deployments.
0: So thank you to Codeship for sponsoring uh, the podcast. And remember, go uh, to Codeship.io and use the code 555Ruby to get 20% off for three months and let them know that we sent you there.
1: That was five by five Ruby? Five by five Ruby. Mm-hmm. Five.
0: Excellent.
1: Yep. Cool. All right. Thanks, code Chip. The code Chip. <laughs> right. Uh, I feel like we got off uh, from
0: the, the actual book writing and into the actual testing stuff. Yeah, no, that's I fine. Read, that's okay. This is my two-bullet note you know, about what to talk about so, today. So it's, it's not... No, post-it uh, eggs are scribbled out above them. It's on, Yeah, really, it's on, it's it's actually funny what it's on. So, uh, my seven-year-old was in here um, drawing with a highlighter yesterday. And it's
1: on your seven-year-old.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: so, I just said stay there for a day. Stay there. Hold on. I got to record this podcast. You'll
0: be fine. I am. All right. So... This is funny. So I flipped it over. So I had written the bullets about what to talk about on the back of the piece of paper that he had been drawing on. Mm-hmm. So I just flipped it over to see what he was writing. Now he's seven. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, here is what he uh, wrote. Well, take a guess. What was the first thing that he wrote on his uh, drawing? Uh, Minecraft. <laughs> it's, it's one of them. <laughs> yes. So, Adam Was Here was the first one, which I think is (laughs) Adam Was Here, that's like the hello world of doodling on your dad's work piece of paper. So, Adam Was Here, Uh, his his older brother later wrote Same With Me. Uh, Then he drew a picture of uh, his character in Minecraft, which, (laughs) no big shock. (laughs) And he wrote Yay Brothers. That's
1: of, the best, that's <laughs> just the best thing I have ever heard.
0: Yeah, so anyways, that's... That's, that's good.
1: I'm glad you desecrated that with notes for this show.
0: I know, yeah, so I took this, <laughs> a, and not only that, I, I first made it my uh, coaster for my glass of water, so it's like water warped, and then I used it as my coffee coaster this morning, so it's got a coffee stain in the bottom, and now, this paper's been through the ringer, that's what I'm saying. That's great. That is, uh, that needs to be framed, but also... Yay, brothers! Yay, brothers! <laughs> I think that I think that uh, the him and his brother. So they're seven and eleven. They p- play more together in one day than I did with my brothers for the entirety of my childhood. That's and also, I kind of that's... can't. I, I don't understand how either worked. How I didn't play with my brothers that much when I was young, and how they don't get sick of each other.
1: <laughs> uh, that's a four-year gap. Uh, I don't do math anymore. <laughs> right, four. Uh. Uh, so that's before your gap. the four-year gap. That's the same gap between my brother and I. I think that's the, the perfect amount of time for, uh, I think, you two get along with your younger sibling or older sibling.
0: Yeah, I guess I didn't really... Re- I think you're right, and I don't think I understood that. Uh, how, how old were
1: you between... Like, what was the age difference? It's like two and a
0: half years. Okay. I, I think there's,
1: there's a, a chunk of jealousy that can go along in there, like depending on the, the time. Like, oh, man, I was the baby. Come on. Whereas, like, after four years, you're like, I can take care of him.
0: I'm an adult child. I think that they're. I think that's very true. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, yay brothers. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I'm just right. I'm, I'm just surprised he can just spell brothers because his his spelling is something less than perfect. <laughs> that's great. Uh, my my brother
1: just moved. Well, he didn't just move to Philadelphia, but he just started working uh, out of the co working space with me. Oh, that's nice. Uh, yesterday was his first like full day, so it was it was, it was great. It was it was really cool because we still
0: play a bunch. Do you still play, do you play Minecraft?
1: Uh, we have. Hmm. Like, yeah, we'd be used to. No, not anymore. But, we do, we do doodle on our dad's notes
0: and, uh, <laughs> draw, draw our Minecraft characters. So, Great. Uh, I made the joke on Twitter the other day that I, that I think, uh, Minecraft has disrupted childcare. <laughs> so I'm not kidding with this now. I, uh, okay, go, go for that because
1: I have an anecdote for that. Uh, tell it. All right. Um, ember
0: fiance um who (laughs) I thought Um, thought you said ember like the javascript framework uh yes ember um, my fiance ember my future wife
1: um ember uh her friends live in pittsburgh and they needed someone to kind of look at at, after their kid for the day like they were they had a project they needed to work on and so (laughs) ember did like minecraft babysitting with them uh where, where they were just on the same server, and she was just entertaining them in minecraft uh, from across the state,
0: yeah, well, like any joke i mean I, I said it sort of kidding around, but not kidding around really yeah um so 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 i as I said before, i've got my office that's like in the adjacent mother in law apartment to my house and but, but I mean it's connected right, so they could walk here in thirty seconds right um, so let's say my wife and and older daughter were gone for the the day, or even multiple days for that matter. And I said, hey, kids, I got to work. And uh, so, you know, I'm going to go to work in the morning and I'm going to come back at night. And it's raining out, so you can't go outside, and I need you to, like, not blow up the house. They could just play Minecraft and be totally fine. I I don't think that's a great idea. Minecraft. Right. Well, I think that that's exactly it. Like, when they're playing Minecraft, and I think that this is true of many games, but I've never seen it to the degree that it's true in Minecraft. It's like they are in Minecraft.
1: Mm-hmm. to know.
0: For, there's no limit to the amount of time. So, it's, it's whether it's decision. one hour or ten hours, they are immersed. Yeah, it's, it's just like an imagination stage. Like, it, it is, it's
1: imagination personified. Like, you can, you, it's clear what you have to work with. Like, just all these blocks and stuff. And the only limit is what you can come up with. It's, it's it's impressive. And I love it. I love that uh, younger and younger kids just keep playing with
0: it. Yeah. Yeah, I, well, so Adam, the younger one, is seven, and he got into it, I'd say, right about when he turned seven, so six or seven. Mm-hmm. And, the, I mean, it's as soon as he could, as, as he had the dexterity to, like, use the mouse, could read well enough to understand what was written okay, You know, which was not that he could read everything, but, you know, he could recognize the key things. And for him, he likes to, of course, as all kids do, he likes to, you know, all the codes, like, you know, teleport me to this place or, you know, uh, enter cheat mode and summon the ogre and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, So I think that, like, if you you were to quiz him on what he knows how to type, he would score best on any word that's part of a Minecraft command. (laughs) Positive of it. So it could be like unicorn, he'd spell it, no problem, if there's a unicorn in Minecraft. <laughs> <laughs> Ask him to spell blue, I don't know if it's he's going to spell it right. <laughs> uh, blue would be just like the hex code in Minecraft. <laughs> that, that is so accurate. <laughs> uh, anyways. Um, so let's get back to the contents of, uh, of the book. So I've seen you tweeting about fixtures, and we talked about fixtures some mm-hmm. on the... Uh, on the last show or maybe two ago. Um, it seems like this is a, a thing for you. Like you're, you're involved with fixtures or not fixtures.
1: It's weird because I think the last time I was on here, I, I had a, a, pretty, I don't know, diplomatic stance about, uh, between the, the two, like use, use whatever you would like. That's fine. Um, now I, and I, this is still just for me. So I use whatever the hell you want. I don't care. Um, cause I've been working with, uh, well, actually, let's 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 back up there for a second because I've been working. Um, I I have a job now. I've been hired um, and I'm working on a project that is uh, it's Rails two three, it is RSpec one three, and uh, Factory Girl, something I don't know. Um, so it's it's old. I'm coding like it's
0: you know 2010. Um, how many how many lines of code is 10. there? I haven't counted. I've I've been, I, I've been too, too busy trying to figure out how uh, some of it works. Um, do, you, do you have it handy? This would be a fun thing for you to bet on how many lines of code it is and then run rake stats and see. I, uh, I At the moment, I do not. I'm kind of like across. I got this new microphone, and I hope it sounds it
1: sounds great. It's yeah. amazing. Thank you. I, I have this problem where I bring it up to my face and I start talking like a radio DJ. <laughs> it a quiet storm with Eric and Sean.
0: Mm-hmm. Of all of all shows to pick by the way quiet storm <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I, it, it's in I, the morning it's same. in the morning right now so it should be we, we need nicknames for each other so it's you know, you uh, know bonzo generic and uh, bonzo yeah. and the donkey <laughs> exactly. Rain a, in the morning with a, <laughs> that sounds about right All right. I'm
1: so sorry for everyone <laughs> uh, so it's I'm not I, I don't know I, I, I don't have the wherewithal to to talk about the, like, current state of the application too much, but the, um, I've been thrust into, um, specs and factories again, and, um, I just, I'm not happy with factories. Like, it's just, they they bug me a whole bunch, because, uh, so, so, wait, maybe, do, do you have questions you would like to ask? Because there's a chance I could just accidentally go on a tirade. Oh, that's either, it's fine either way.
0: Okay. So I don't, I mean, I don't, tell me more about what, um, is irking you about factories so much. Uh, so factories, the the biggest problem
1: I have with factories is if it doesn't exist, I have to create it. Um, and that's the biggest strength of factories early on in that you're not constrained. Like you don't have to take that time initially to figure out all of the different types of, uh, data that you'll need. Like you can create it on demand, um, Whenever you inherit a very large application, um, and you need to test a very specific set of data, creating that is the worst. I spend way more time setting up data than I do actually writing a test or actually writing like fixing a bug. Um,
0: and it, it, just kills me. So the only time I, uh, put data into the database, um, in testing is now, of course, I'm sure there's an exception to this, but, but most of the time that I do it is when I'm testing something that only the database could do. So mm-hmm. for for example, that a scope returns the right subset of records. So, you know, I want to make sure it, it only matches this criteria. So I, I create two records, one that does match one that doesn't match test the scope, see that it pulled back the one that did, because there's no other way to test it than that. Sure. But other than that, I, um, you know, or, or maybe like a uniqueness validation, right? Like, okay, yeah, that has to be in the database because okay. otherwise it's not going to be able to do it so uh, well, other than that i'm not i'm not putting data into the database basically ever is let the, me like, ask you uh, well, why
1: why you're do- not doing that like what, what is what are the operations where you
0: would um, where you would have to uh, put something in the database um, well the the reason that I'm not is So it, there would be no benefit to doing so. Like, in other words, like I, it's, it's to understand what the, I'll, like, like, let's say I'm testing a particular method that calculates, uh, that calculates some sort of product of two other attributes. Sure. Um, I, Uh, And and let's say it's using the values that are currently set into those attributes. So in other words, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't take them as arguments, but it's using the state of the uh, instance at the time to do the calculation. Um, So I I would just want to, in the test, say, okay, like, uh, uh, rate equal, you know, subject.rate equals one, subject.quantity equals ten, and then say, you know, expect subject.calculate amount, to equal 10. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, so,
1: for and like, it, a, like it, an individual unit test, you just, you initialize a, a, a nice contained um, unit. Like a, an, a nice an instance object.
0: of the object that yeah. only has the things in it that um, you would need to use that method. And the reason mm-hmm. that I do it, I mean, let's, let's say performance was identical to, to get rid of that argument for a minute. I would still do it that way. Because then when I read the spec, it's like dead obvious what's going on. Yeah. So
1: in, uh, in that situation, we are, uh, like brothers, yay brothers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if it can be, if it can be on its own, it, it should be on its own. Like if it, if you can get, um, if you can test what you need to test with just a, um, like a, just an, an initialized object, object that new or model. new, Do it by all means. Um, That was actually how I I was able to kind of click learning tests the first way with just object.new, a ton of object.new, or uh, model.new, or whatever it was. But um, that's the best way to go about it for these single things,
0: like uh, mostly unit tests and model tests. I mean, not many things should require, at least this is my opinion, like not too many things should require um, the actual... uh, existence of the the instance in the database. Like, very few. In in unit tests. Right. In, in, in unit tests. In, wow. in, um, like in, in, tests. And view tests. I would say controller, I agree, that it almost always has to be in the database. And uh, so,
1: and, and the situation that I'm in now, there's a ton of logic in controllers, which is, you know, for for better or for worse, whatever, that's where it is, and there's not, it, it's a huge uh, project to change on, but um, I still want to prove that it works, and um, so for a controller, I need a ton of stuff for this this one request to work. Like I need a user, uh, I, I need a user, I need um, whatever object that uh, I'm, I'm, is under test, like what under object is being used in the controller. I need um, any associations that go along with that that might be set up. Um, mm-hmm. There's there's a ton of stuff that I need, and um, right now. The worst part is finding out all that stuff um, because it's been stubbed out entirely, which yeah. it's not great. Um, so this is, this is my big argument for fixtures, is that those things just exist um, whenever you're using fixtures. Uh, you, you don't have to worry. So my, my workflow with fixtures is for, like, I'm setting up the initial data structure of the model. I come up with like these nice narratives like uh, Jim Jim's my favorite user Jim actually no let's go with Sean Sean is my favorite user <laughs> <laughs> yay <laughs> <laughs> hey brothers um, Sean Sean's my favorite user and I'm just going to use him most often he's the canonical ideal user so Sean has um, is, he's a fully uh, fully stocked user who has um, all of the associations and he needs he has a subscription model he has payments that go along with him. Well, he has a subscription model. That subscription model then has payments that go along with it. Um, he also has um, an account, and I don't, I don't know, I'm having trouble thinking associations in, in the abstract. but um, So I set up all of this stuff at the beginning. So we've got these fixtures that just exist in these files, and then they're slurped up, and I never have to think about well, I don't, never have to think them again. But I know whenever I need to start a test that, okay, Right now, I just need to log in as Sean. Sean already exists in the database, so all I have to do is just say "sign in, Sean." Um, before all of those controller tests, and then if I want to act upon Sean, I just call user Sean, and it's there. So it's the the barrier to getting started with a a new controller test, and it just makes my life so much easier.
0: Yeah, so I, I actually have a, a story that's sort of similar to this. So when I I, I wrote a pretty large application a couple of years ago, that before I knew, I mean, my ass from my elbow about how to program effectively, which is interesting because this this app has arguably been one of the more successful things I've ever worked <laughs> on, um, even though the the actual programming is pretty rough. Uh, but um, you know what it was doing was was interesting, and it got by. But anyhow, I uh, didn't. I barely knew how to write, um, you know, any parts of the app itself, let alone uh, test it. You know, write write the app that would test the app. Um, and then, you know, as time went went on, and later on, I I do know how to write, uh, you know, program better at the very least, and I can test things fine. And but the, the, then I had this app that uh, had all sorts of complications inside of it, kind of kind of that are similar to what you're describing, where it needed to have um, a, a number of objects needed to exist in particular classes of state mm-hmm. for anything to work, right? It, like it just it, it, they were too intertwined for things. Right. To Which
1: stepping back, that might like that's
0: indicative of another problem. But yeah, but but like like you time. said, like, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a smell. But I mean, it's the deal. And, uh, it's no small feat to untangle this thing. And sometimes either through your own doing or by, uh, you know, fate of your career, you just inherit stuff. Okay. And, you know, so maybe it shouldn't have been that way, but that just doesn't matter at this point. Right. Um, well, anyways, so one of the big ahas that I, uh, have had, and I, you know, it was a while ago now, but I've used it a bunch of times since then is anytime that's the case and you want to test things, just rip down the production data and, uh, uh, whether it 's a subset that you can carve up so that performance is reasonable or you uh, uh, load the data once and then keep it that way for a while during a bunch of integration tests, use that because it you know it's testing actually what the app is and uh, while I would never recommend doing that uh, as like a st- as a plan A because it 's a bad strategy um, as a plan B. to test test a change on an app that's complicated and intertwined and a bit of a mess, ripping, you know, sort of using a snapshot of production as your fixtures, um, even if it's a big data set, is a pretty good way to go, I think. Like an ugly way to go. And again, not what I would do if I could start something from the beginning, but like in a situation like the one you're in. Um, with this app, well, like a, a pretty good alternative because then at least, you know, you're testing something that resembles reality instead of some stubbed yeah. out, you know, Frankenstein of a sort of bizarro world version of the app.
1: Yep. I, uh, completely agree with you. I, 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 spent like a morning last week actually using, um, I, I wrote a thing that just dumped the, uh, a, a small subset of production data into pictures. Um, and then I went and cleaned them up to protect any, like, I cleaned them up to protect anything that was sensitive in them, and then, um, used them. I still need to associate them with each other, but I think that's a great way to go about it, because I, I feel like the, the, the problem with fixtures, um, so I started with fixtures. Like, I started with, uh, object. New, and then I, st- I went to fixtures. Like, this is stupid. I don't want to write, I don't wanna write all the time. This is dumb program. Um, and so I started getting a factory because the idea of actually having to come up with all of this stuff, like there, I don't want to. I don't want to come up with Sean. I don't want to have to, to figure out that Sean's email address is seandaddy at hotmail.com. Like that, that's not something that I want to do. It's a complete. It, it's it's too much of a jump for me um, as a programmer. So I would. Uh, oh, this is great! I can use a factory to so just come up with that stuff on demand and use like um, Faker to, to come up with that data myself. Um, then, then the, like that, that's, that solves that problem at the beginning. But, uh, it turns out whenever I would like actually put the time into setting up Sean and, uh, with his email, Sean at dot com, Then I know more about, like, it just, it feels more intimate. It's this weird thing that happens where like you get this narrative, uh, along with your, your whole app. And, uh, by going through and actually associating all these fixtures uh, from some production data, I'm getting that same feel, too, where it's... Uh, and it's portable, so the fixtures just sit in there in the repository so whenever a new developer comes on, they can just set it up and they can see that Sean is the one that's being used most often.
0: Okay. So I think that your philosophy on all this is pretty healthy in that, you know, there's been all sorts of drama in Ruby world... Um, it's tough. ...about testing and... Um, I think that uh, I think it's a sort of a false choice to say either you believe in um, a a kind of, you know, one true way, like TDD, or you think it's, it's, um, you know, phony religion and is, you know, ruining the fun and is, uh, you know, tool of consultants, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) I think that like, like my take on it is that I actually love TDD and Mm -hmm. I think it's why. Prog- well, one of the reasons programming never feels lonely to me. Like I could sit and program for a you know, hundred hours straight, mm-hmm. never talk to anyone. And <laughs> how are my tests doing? beep boop. Yeah. Beep, boop. And you know, you don't really feel you're like rigged. that's the case because you've like rigged up this thing you're communicating with. Right. You're getting feedback. Like somebody is. Like it's. It's like you're rubber ducking. Kind of. At, well, I I think it's like you're totally rubber ducking. I mean, I I don't even think like it's kind mm-hmm. of. Uh, If I want to, if I'm sort of thrashing at all, I always ask, okay, you know, am I I setting up tests that are communicating to me, (laughs) as much as anyone, what I'm trying to do? And then if I'm not, and I do, you know, miraculously, I start thinking through the problem more clearly. So I love TDD. Um, And also... Sometimes, like if I'm scaffolding up a controller or a view, um, I don't need, like, like I don't need to reproduct that, like that, that sort of, uh, you yeah. know, m- masturbation at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, um, sometimes I'm in a situation where I can't, like, like this situation that you described or my, you know, legacy app, so to speak, where, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the right way to do it, but I'm in the, you know, quote real world now. Right, and right, right. I gotta deal with a situation that's not pretty and it doesn't matter why. It just yeah. isn't pretty. Yeah, it's it's we re-
1: I have these cards in my hand right now. I can't start the game over. I can't uh like I'm I'm playing with someone else. They're waiting for me to to play my cards. I have to do something. So
0: Right. You're and it doesn't fine. matter why. It doesn't matter how you got there. If you got yourself there, if someone else got you there, if exactly. you were dropped into there. Who cares? Yeah. You know, sometimes like, you, you know, you got to be an adult and just deal yes. with, with your situation, which may not be what you would have planned at 18. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> that's sort of how I feel about it. Like where that doesn't mean that at like this stage of my life now I've become as pragmatist and, you know, this, these ideologies are stupid and detracting from, you know, me actually getting real work done in reality. That's dumb to say that. Yeah. It just means that sometimes, I mean, you got to be where you are. And if you are in a place where the ideology is in conflict with getting things done, well, you just kind of have to deal with it. Yeah. It's- yeah. And like, we don't have to, we don't have to, you know, I, and I acknowledge the absurdity of what I'm about to say. We don't have to have a five-part hangout to talk about whether that's okay or not, as we right. talk about it on a podcast. But you know, I mean, like, yes, of course, it's okay that we all deal with things that aren't what we would have created, and that the best way to get through it is just to get through it.
1: Yep, I, all, all of this stuff, like all of this stuff, like, uh, like that, that. That's a fantastic, uh, just, just bundle of. Ideas and, and, and ideologies. That's great. Um, I think that just the past couple of months with the whole TDD thing, it's been healthy. Like, it's it's a good thing to talk about. It's not – it's a terrible time to launch a book about testing because then you'll be inundated with questions about it. Uh, especially it, – it, which is really painful if you um, – like, if that's something that you just can't be a part of that conversation. Like, I don't have a ton to say about that. Um, because it's not super important. TDD is, like, TDD helped me figure out that I didn't need um, to actually test first. Like, it's, it was a, it was this cool little trick to make me think, okay, no, I actually need to figure out what I need, like, what I'm about to build first. Like, uh, the, the whole, like, the, the religion behind test first and, and figuring that stuff out, that's not super real. Um, but it's also, whatever, it, it helps... New folks, people learning how to test, learn how to test. And i that's why I like TDD. I don't do TDD. I do more of a DDT, which is a
0: terrible acronym. Like, design... Like. <laughs> I think all all acronyms for controversial topics should also be acronyms for poison.
1: Poison or wrestling move.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh,
1: I, I am starting a, uh, a new... Testing philosophy that is uh, the pile driver where you just <laughs> don't do any tests and you uh, accidentally break it neck. So, um, but it's. Are you a wrestling fan? I I was, and my my one buddy is a super wrestling fan. So I still get
0: some. Uh, I'm I'm still plugged in a little bit, but. Like when's the last time you watched Monday Night Raw? Oh, years ago. How many years. times have you been in person?
1: I've never been in person. Right. But, uh, you know what, I'm not going to make any excuses I didn't like wrestling very much I said it I said it
0: <laughs> but You grew up in like rural Pennsylvania and you didn't like wrestling? I liked wrestling um, Okay, I exactly uh, It
1: was the fact that I grew up in rural Pennsylvania like, getting, It's why I don't know a lot of music It's why I don't watch a lot of uh, like why, why I've missed certain movies like, I just didn't have access to, to a lot of pop culture Or
0: wrestling <laughs> arenas, apparently I went to uh, I went to Monday Night Raw one time in person when I was in college, and it was like it was exactly the debacle that you'd imagine uh-huh. like it, it was the you know a uh, bunch of guys from the dorm freshman year are going to take a road trip to see <laughs> Monday, Monday Night Raw in Worcester Mass at whatever their arena is called, and it was a disaster <laughs> You no, know, it was the uh, pulling over on the side of the road. Guy accidentally goes to the bathroom in his pants. Uh, uh, guy, one of us uh, gets kicked out. Not me. One w- one guy gets kicked out of the arena. Just absolute, exactly what you'd imagine. One guy's trying to get across the country to his girlfriend. Like it's it's a, a teen love movie from uh, the nineties. Yeah, except without a lot of love and with wrestling. With wrestling, but mm-hmm. it was fun. Um,
1: I have watched the um, the episode of that '70s show where they went to a wrestling match. So that's pretty much the same thing. I watched somebody watch somebody wrestle. Does that? I, I feel like that predates WWF. Is that true? Probably. It was more like I, I think that their, their their thing was a uh, like an early or was an amateur thing, but it just happened to also have a bunch of popular wrestlers at the time.
0: Yeah. So I've, I've both been to a uh, a, a Rob um, more recently than you have, even though it was uh, uh, 18 years ago. <laughs> and, and I've seen it more recently, too. I was at a, like a family party at uh, my in-laws back, I don't know, maybe 18 months ago, uh, Christmas time, like december time and it was on a monday and monday night raw was on and you know one of the kids was into it so it ended up on the tv that turns out that is a massive hit for a family party
1: that's awesome S- I, I can sit see, around and watch that i can see how uh, just watching wrestling i could watch wrestling anytime there's not a reason why i'm not watching it like, i'm not opposed to it it's just it's not on it's not available at, in my immediate vicinity and i feel like it's a thing if you start watching wrestling again when you're like almost 28 Uh, so I I don't know if it was placed down in front of me, just like the reggae, if, if I was sat down and it was on, I would have a good time watching it. So that's, that's good to know that it is a good family exercise, like, uh,
0: like a week. Right. Yep. Awesome.
1: How do we get there?
0: Well, uh, I don't know, but DDT. Exactly. So so you, (laughs) I like that idea, uh, (laughs) So I think that uh, – well, we could talk for a while. I actually have to wrap up today. You That's right. I. Um, uh. Well, I appreciate uh, – so here's what I learned today. I should recap every episode this way. Sure. Uh, I learned that your book launch has been a big success. Uh, it has. That even if it wasn't, you've learned what to test in your 15 months of writing the book, which seems like a, a pretty big win. Mm-hmm. Um I better understand your thing about fixtures, which has to do a lot more with controller tests and sort of like the state of the real application than it does unit tests, which has clarified some comments for me that you've made. Excellent. And I get
1: cranky on Twitter, too, so take that with a grain of salt. If it it hits Twitter, then I
0: am super mad. It was like me this week with – so I was using the QuickBooks Online API. (laughs) Yeah. And it it was like a a speed-dating – breakup where at first I was like, whoa, I thought this thing sucked because I had used a previous version. They had released a new version since then. I thought this thing sucked and it turns out it doesn't look like it sucks. And wow, I, uh, this is great. Like I, I, I totally got into the, uh, not into it, but optimistic at the very least about what I was going to be able to do that I needed to do with the QuickBooks online API. And then, um, There's a companion uh, Ruby library that's maintained by someone that doesn't work there, I think, that's pretty good, too, and that got me even more optimistic. And they released a new version of their, of actually, like QuickBooks Online, the the, uh, web client, which, uh, at the same time, so I kind of figured that they had built the new web version on top of the API, given that the API seemed pretty full-featured. That was not true.
1: That is unfortunate, and...
0: That was not true. Yeah. So no. over the next three days I went from like optimism and, and, uh, almost regretting that I had given them a hard time in the past because I thought that things <laughs> had gotten good. I'm like, you know what? I was too hard on you. Cookbooks online started writing like a handwritten letter. Of I, really? I, I, I had made a mixtape by <laughs> day two and it was like full of, uh, you know, uh, okay. don't judge a book by its cover. Give someone a second chance. And then, uh, I actually had back? exactly I had to use the damn thing and wanted to throw my computer out the window. Because you know what? They actually don't use I don't know this for a fact, but I know it that they don't use the API themselves because it just inexplicably does not support certain things that it says it does or that there's no possibility could have been a reasonable choice like you know, you can't search based on one of the main things one would search on. <laughs> And, uh, exactly. Pretty much that. So, uh, the story ended with me, um, like in the movie major league, staring at QuickBooks and saying, you know, F you QuickBooks, I'll do do this myself. (laughs) which was like anyone that has worked with me knows that like the the probability of that happening the whole way was like 110%. (laughs) And the idea that I ever got to the place where I was like, you know what? These guys aren't that bad. And I was really being unfair is stupid. Like, and I should have known better, but there we go.
1: Well, I am.
0: Yeah, it's, it, it, that's why I like that Twitter exists sometimes
1: because you can just do that. You can just vent. You can just be angry and then it feels kind of Okay. Because nobody... It feels like a safe
0: place. Yeah. Yeah, like... And I I to post a, uh, a video from Major League. You get, you know, points. Now, had you seen... Did you see that tweet, and had you seen that movie? I had
1: seen the tweet. I had not seen the movie uh, in full, because the same,
0: like, rural Pennsylvania problem, I think. I, um... So, one last aside, and then we got to wrap. Yeah, right. So... I always thought, and I love, I love when this happens. I figured that that was a movie quote that people generally quote. And the, the, so this is the, uh, the not safe for children moment. Uh, but so the line is uh, the, the one guy is he's at home plate and he's, uh, this, uh, he's like the big guy on the team, major leagues about baseball. And, he, <laughs> you know, Hey, a lot of people aren't into baseball. So he is at home and the whole, he has this uh, like, uh, Religious relationship with his bat, which he named Joe Boo, and uh, he blames all he blames all of his problems and, all, and uh, credits all of his success to this bat, Joe Boo. And anyway, so he's having trouble, and he eventually uh, gets over it at a key point in in the game by in the uh, uh, like in the batter's box. He's about to take a pitch, and he goes through this speech, and then says, "Fuck you, Joe Boo! I'll do it myself." So my whole life I thought F.U. Joe Boo, I'll do it myself was like a line that people quote like lines from Caddyshack. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it is no. because I went, to, um, I went to search for like a gif of it, uh, and there isn't one. I was like, there's no way. This is like the famous line for Major League. Well, it turns out it was like I liked the line, <laughs> which, again, if, if anyone that's worked with me is like, right, Exactly. You know, this is, of course you like that line. <laughs> um, but it, I don't think it actually is a line. I think this is just a line that I responded to when I was, like, 12 and saw the movie. Um, and, like, that, that I, it, with the Internet now, that's, like, I, that's my workflow for jokes or anything that's, like, pop culture is, I think, of something. And I'm, like, is this just me or is this a thing? And then search for it and then, you know, you figure it out.
1: I love that that, that predates, that predates memes and that predates, like... <laughs> the uh, the the idea or the ability to capture it in a gif, like and just nobody's picked up on it in that time. Like there are plenty of movies mid eighties that people just like and they, they do it. And it's it's interesting that that line, something I that you you cared about so much and you use so much uh, or so often, just hasn't made, hasn't made it.
0: So well, good. now that you so you I audition this with you. Is that a I think that's looking like a meme worthy, gift worthy line. No,, well, uh, I'm not sure no was is it, it like like you watch that video, the f u Joe boo I'll do it myself mm-hmm. that that seems like it could be a meme. It me. should be, yeah, no, it should be uh like watching the movie or watching the, the the clip that you put up there. It seems
1: like it should have been it should exist as a gift
0: <laughs> well, like my in general, my take on this sort of thing, like with open source anything is like, well, then make a gift stupid, that's like what I think to myself, <laughs> except like gifts aren't my thing, so I don't know that I'll go there that's okay. Look, you've,
1: I feel like you've, you've
0: uh, dug up some, some part of the Internet that hasn't existed yet. I <laughs> know. So, you know, maybe this, some, someone will take it from here. This is your, your contribution. You, you've shined a spotlight. Uh, faithful listeners, what else do you love in movies that isn't a gift? <laughs> exactly. Send it to Sean. Here are my, my two contributions to the Internet this month are that, uh, which is a very, very minor contribution. And, and I made a Twitter bot called GoToCollage to <laughs> that retweets when people accidentally say "go to collage" instead of "go to college" I, as as a point. joke for my daughter, who loves it when people do that. So I said, "Okay, then I'll I'll make you like me more by <laughs> 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 by making a Twitter bot that does that." Turns that's out, h- hilarious. hilarious, super funny. Yeah. Uh, All right,
1: this has been awesome.
0: Uh, remind everyone where they can buy your book and where to reach you online
1: please. they can buy my book at what do I slash buy I made it easy for you and you can uh, follow me on the Twitter
0: net at uh, I'm generic steel and and yeah, it's really it awesome well thanks for coming on I am oh I'd like to thank our sponsor code Ship, and I am uh, barely known on Twitter